The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The text is the gospel lesson, the Canaanite woman. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, you have assured us that you are our loving Heavenly Father through the merits of Jesus Christ. You know our needs, the personal burdens that we carry, and the institutional burden that Concordia Seminary faces. Above all other things, we pray that you take not your Holy Spirit from us, but rather through our meditation upon the Word and our reception of the Savior's body and blood, that we would be confirmed and strengthened in the faith that the Canaanite woman demonstrated. In the midst of things that come and scare us, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to trust more firmly on the unseen things, the promises of Christ, which in him are yea and amen to your beloved children. Amen. Over the years, uh, I have found that in some very significant ways, my personal faith has gotten weaker. Uh, And that's right, seminarians, professors, visitors. Over the years, in some very significant ways, my personal faith has gotten weaker. Now, there are a number of reasons for that. One is simply the aging process. I always wanted to be a minister from little on. And when I got to the seminary, I was thrilled about doing great things for the kingdom, and then life happened to me. That's natural. Another reason is that over the years, I have seen a lot of hurt and sorrow, suffering and pain. I have seen it in others. I have seen it in dear family members, and sometimes I have been the one who caused it. And when this happens, you start to wonder, where is this God of love that we were assured in our youth and idealism is always going to be with us. Another reason why at least my own personal faith has gotten uh, weaker over the years in some significant ways is that I have seen brothers and sisters do things that they should not do. I see that at the seminary. You see that at the seminary as well. We see it in our congregations. We see it in Christianity at large. My father had a way when he saw that I was about to do something I should not do, he would put out his, his arm, point right at me, and say, you dasn't do that. And sometimes it worked. Other times it did not. But the he- we see brothers and sisters doing things that the Heavenly Father has said, you dasn't do that. I think we're all familiar with the uh, statue or the uh, painting of Jesus with his arms up, right? You know that? Nod your heads. Let's, don't be stiff-necked Lutherans. Nod your heads. You're familiar with that one. Okay. And when we set out in life, at least in my case, I always assumed that the arms were raised and the hands pointed toward me in blessing. But when life comes hard you start to wonder, are those hands pointed toward me in blessing 
Or, on the evidence of tough times, is he really shooing me away? Go, 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 go! You see, the Canaanite woman had that experience. The disciples said, send her away. And then Jesus himself says, it's, I was sent only for the lost children of the house, sheep of the house of Israel. Go, go. And he didn't stop there when she came to him again, prayerfully. He said, it's not right to take the children's food and cast it to the dogs. So I, I relate to that. I relate to that. So I've heard it said, and, and let me give you some examples of how it comes at us, and you start to wonder, where is Jesus in all this? Where is that loving Heavenly Father that we embraced in our confirmation and during our seminary days? Uh, for example, he seems to be saying, away, away, away. I've had enough of you and your problems. And yet then begins the tussle of faith, the wrestling. We heard about Jacob wrestling. And when things are coming at us, we wrestle because we remember the promise that we heard many, many years before and have committed to memory, Psalm 51. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Where are you? Am I to believe this thin promise against all the evidence of bad things? And sometimes it seems that he is pushing us away just like the Canaanite woman and said, I don't want anything more to do with you. And then we wrestle. We have the tussle of faith because we remember by a thin thread what we learned. John chapter 6, Whosoever cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. The last time that those arms were seen by people in this position was on the Mount of the Ascension. And in spring when Ascension Day comes, we're going to say all the pious right things, and they're true, they're true, um, but you sometimes wonder if that wasn't just his waving goodbye, up, up, and away, I'm out of here. Because I've given you people the best three years of my life, and it doesn't seem to have made a difference. You understand what I'm talking about. I've heard it said, and I've heard it preached, that the life of faith is a very easy thing. I don't believe that for a nanosecond. I suspect that it's said that faith is easy by contrast to the life of works. But actually, the life of works is a deceptively easy thing. That's what makes it so attractive. God will accept me because I try and do my best, and, you know, where I fail, he knows my intentions were reasonably good, and that's where he forgives so even though we know that by grace are you saved through faith and the not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, that's a very attractive way to live, good works. It's deceptive and it's false. But that doesn't mean that the life of faith is easy. 
as the Canaanite woman demonstrates for us in the gospel lesson. The life of faith, in my own experience, is a very, very difficult and trying proposition. Now let me revisit my opening line that over the years, in some significant ways, my own personal faith has gotten weaker. And that is really true, but let me expand on what I mean. A couple months ago, I was flying back from uh, Chicago uh, to St. Louis, and I sat next to a woman who wanted to talk. I don't want to talk on the airplane. I want to read. I want to think. Maybe I want to take a nap. I don't want to talk. But she did. She did. And I couldn't escape it. And she wanted to find out what I do for a living. And, you know, I seminary in St. Louis, Clayton, Concordia. You know, this is gung-ho evangelism, right? Um, and she finally figured out that I'm a religious-type person. And so she says, do you believe in reincarnation? I said, no! Well, I do. And I may just come back in my next life as a Lutheran and a man. She had a, she had a thing against men you know, that I was on the receiving end of. All right, so 1 Peter 3.15, always re be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. So I'm going to have to talk to her. Um, and I, I said, why do you believe that? What, what is there out there that makes you believe that reincarnation is a valid uh, thought? And she had no answer. She had absolutely no answer. See, reincarnation made her feel good in here, but there was nothing out there that was informing her heart and her mind. Faith, as many of you know from your studies, has two aspects. And one is the aspect in here. The things we feel, the things upon which we set our affections, the things we trust, and it's in here. And she had in here this typically American attitude that if it makes me feel good, it's valid, it's okay. Now, this meaning of faith is not wrong. Yesterday I was sitting over there during Pastor uh, Carr's sermon and uh, appreciated that, Bill. And then we sang, um, Herzlichly, Lord Thee I Love With All My Heart. And a couple of times in that hymn when uh, it got to me, a student next to me said, you're catching a cold? Because I was sniffling. And I said, yeah, it, it wasn't that really. But when we sang a line like, and should my heart for sorrow break, my trust in thee no one could shake, thou art the portion I have sought, thy precious blood my soul has bought. Uh, I, was, I was breaking up. I was losing it. But whoever the student is, I lied to you. I, I said it's a cold. 
I'm, so this is legitimate in here, but this in here has to be informed by what's out there. See, and that's where the Canaanite woman is such a model, and how convenient that she's held before us today as an, a model of faith. When she was pushed away, pushed away, pushed away, she still held on to what had been revealed to her that this is not only the son of David, but she called him the Lord, the Septuagint word for God. It was out there that made her so persistent when everything seemed to be pushing her away. We love to sing. We love to sing, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And that is absolutely true when we're talking about justification, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 again. But I think we too often forget, and this recession is reminding us as a community, and we are reminded of it personally in whatever burdens we carry, we are being reminded that God leaves you, loves God loves you and me too much to leave us just as we are. He loves our community and us as individuals too much to leave us just as we are. And so over the years I've discovered that he strips away so much that is in here so that we, so that Dale will hang on more and more to what's out there. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire but thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my countenance and my portion forever. And looking back over most of the 62 years that I can remember, he strips away. For Lutherans steeped in Augsburg 4, the great thing that God strips away is our self-righteousness. We're all self-righteous. That's the condition of original uh, sin. But life teaches us that we have many things to confess week after week after week. He strips away, life strips away self-righteousness, and because nature abhors a vacuum, what fills the vacuum? Guilt. And so week after week, when we have nothing but guilt in here, we have to reach out there to this objective revelation, Colossians chapter 1. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My son, my daughter, be of good cheer. Your sin is forgiven. And that does make a difference when the evidence and the sight that we see points a finger of guilt accusing you or accusing me. Another example of God stripping away what's in here so that we will set our affections and our trust more and more upon Him is the loss of self-confidence. We start out, at least I started out in life and ministry very confident of where I was going, too much so. And events strip the self-confidence away, and again, nature abhors a vacuum and the vacuum gets filled, not with self-confidence, but with doubt, with worry, with anxiety, with fear, with trepidation. And you fill in the list from your own experience. And at those times, God is refining us, not leaving us just as we are, so that we will look to the objective revelation, the objective revelation that dominates our subjective feelings, and controls them, should control them. And he says, 
Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Poet puts it this way, Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. And he keeps stripping away. This is such a mysterious thing, how the Father deals with us as children, but he keeps stripping away in your life and in mine, and he strips away some of the very good things that he has given us. I mean the precious gifts that he has given us. We often offer intercessory prayers in this chapel for those who have lost a loved one. What gifts of God our loved ones are, but he strips them away in his mysteriously known time. And finally, he is going to strip away from you and from me, sooner or later, our very life itself. And I don't know about you, but I do know that the prospect of death scares me. And I think I'm not wrong in admitting my fear of the valley of the shadow because the first president of the seminary, Dr. Walther, said, Christians are afraid to die. You can look it up in Law and Gospel. I'm afraid of that unknown. And when I'm on the edge of the valley of the shadow, there's going to be nothing in here except a heart that is failing. And nothing that is going to bring me through that except to put my hand out to the hands that have never been shooing me away but have always been blessing me and now in my last time are going to reach down and take me by the hand and lead me through, through the valley of the shadow to the other side where eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. To quote the poet again, which I love to do, Lord, take my hand and lead me. And when the shadows lengthen and night has come and there's nothing left in me, I know that you will strengthen, lengthen my steps toward home. And nothing can impede me, O blessed friend. So take my hand and lead me unto the end. It's about faith. And the recession and the dire things that we are experiencing corporately and privately is about less of this and more of him. I have to confess, and I'm wrapping this up, I, I have to confess that, um, that I have often slandered the promises of God uh, in these months that I have uh, been trying to figure out how in the world we can get through this recession. I have slandered the promises of God many times uh, because many a night I, I lay awake over there in, in the house looking at the ceiling and I think, how in the world are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? And, and while that's well-intentioned, my thoughts are slandering God because I'm not taking him at his word. The Savior's word says, consider the lilies, consider the birds. They don't work. You're of a lot more value than they are, and certainly the mission of Concordia Seminary is of a lot more value than birds or flowers. Your heavenly Father knows, O Dale of little faith. And I say that, I say that, uh, because I feel guilty here, but I know I'm forgiven. Dale, be of good cheer, your sin is forgiven. But I say that also 
because that's the way we have to approach the hard times that are upon us as a community. The Heavenly Father knows. And the Canaanite woman had this marvelous, exemplary trust in the Son of God and the Son of David. And it led her to give that great rejoinder, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. God will bless us and bring us through this even as he refines us because he loves us too much to leave us just as we are. The retired uh, president of the Pacific Southwest District, Dr. Arnold Quince, wrote a devotion that is the way that I end. Quince said, life narrows down. Isn't that the truth? Life narrows down. And there, in the narrow place, stands Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus.